answers are not always black and white and everything's not always spelled out. If there was a playbook for exactly what you should do and follow, then that'd be great, but there never is. And so understanding how to make decisions with, you know, maybe 80% of the information as opposed to 100% or or complete lack of information and being able to sort of get to an answer um, or to be able to, you know, uh, be agile and, and change direction as needed is critical, I think, during change processes. Welcome to episode number 52 of the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andrew Tempty. Today, we've got Mahul Patel joining us. Mahul has most recently served as the chief operating officer of Pharmacan, one of the nation's largest cannabis companies. And prior to that, he spent over 20 years in various leadership roles in the education industry. Mahul began his career at the Leo Burnett Company, where he led marketing and advertising initiatives for brands such as Kellogg's and Hallmark. Thank you so much for being here, Mahul. Great. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So this is our last episode in our mini-series on organizational change and change management. Uh, Mahul is here to help us continue our exploration of change in the mergers and acquisitions space that we uh, started with Andrea Minnelli last week, and also to help us think through the change management process when somebody's changing careers or industries. But as we always do, before we get started, it would be great if you told our listeners more of your story. Sure. Um, well, my story uh, has a lot of twists and turns and perhaps is one of the craziest and most diverse set of experiences, I think it's fair to say. So I began my career, as you mentioned, Andy, in marketing and advertising at, at one of the world's largest ad agencies, Leo Burnett, and had a phenomenal experience learning the ins and outs of marketing and working on some of the some of the best brands out there and uh, the dot com era rolled around and uh, I was tempted by the lure of joining uh, an online startup and it just happened to be in the education space and I was helping them with their marketing efforts and and that's really where I kind of developed my my love of the education business um, realized that that this was so powerful helping people achieve their their full potential. Uh, and really changing their life trajectories uh, through through knowledge and enablement of of, uh, of experience. And so I um, spent the next 20 years in the education industry, and um, I covered the full spectrum from uh, corporate learning to professional learning to test preparation to international and global education, higher education, number of things. And and worked for some incredible companies, you know, Thompson Learning, uh, Kaplan, where where you know you and I worked together, Andy. Um, Apollo Education Group, and eventually AdTalum uh, Global Education, which was another very large education company. And around that time, I hit the 20-year mark in my uh, my career in education, and I felt that I was maybe getting a little stale, and I needed to spread my wings and, and learn some new skills and perhaps try something new. And very serendipitously, an opportunity just came up uh, that, that uh, called on me to Join the very fast growing, no pun intended, uh, cannabis industry. <laughs> and um, uh, it was something that I, I had not, no idea about and, and had never been in that kind of a business. But uh, I said, why not? It'll be an opportunity to learn something new. And I joined Pharmacan a few years ago as its chief operating officer. And, and uh, Pharmacan is one of the, the country's largest uh, cannabis companies. So so that is, um, that's been my, my story and my ride. It's, it's a, like I said, a lot of twists and turns. 
Yeah, it's it's uh, it's quite it's quite the arc, and just right up front here, um, it, you know, some listeners may wonder if there's an agenda that I have by inviting Mahul onto the show. Um, first of all, Mahul is a great guy. Uh, second of all, uh, we've both been colleagues and competitors in the education space. And uh, he works for a cannabis company. And uh, that is one we before the show started, we talked about stigma and bringing down the the stigma that has that, that just kind of hangs over uh, the the cannabis industry. And so if we uh, you know, if we help uh, change just a couple of minds today, uh, and uh, bring down that uh, aura of stigma here just a little bit. Um, that would be that. That would also be a goal. Uh, but uh, if you had to pick one event in your life that was just a real accelerant to your career, what what would it be? You know, I think Andy, um, the time that we worked together at Kaplan um, was pretty transformational for me. Um, and while that wasn't one event per se, it was one experience over several years. Um, that was a time where I transitioned from being a, a functional leader, in, this, in my case, marketing leader, to more general management and operations and, and being an operator. Um, and I had you know, the very good fortune of, at the time, Jonathan Greer, who was the CEO, giving me the, the opportunity to run a couple of Kaplan's business units. And, and even what led up to that was, was pretty remarkable in that I had an opportunity to learn from some of the best operators out there. You know, my predecessor... Roy Lipner, um, Andrea Minnelli, who you've had on this show, I think, before, who ran the professional division, uh, professional education division, um, Jonathan, who I mentioned, you know, even my peers, such as yourself and, and Josh Levinson and a couple of other people. Um, I was surrounded by some, some really tried and true operators who really knew what they were doing. And, and I was a new operator. And so not only was I given an opportunity, but I was put in the, the, the perfect place to just learn from people. And during that time, I was, I was a sponge. I, I soaked it all up. I, I grabbed all the knowledge and best practices that I could. And, 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 and it was also an immense period of change in, in, in the world and in our industry, right? So um, we were accelerating into the digital era with online learning and eBooks. And, and then we were navigating ups and downs of macro issues, such as the real estate market crash and the banking crisis. So what an unbelievable time to be learning and growing it was like a real life business boot camp where challenges are being thrown at you but you had a lot of people around you to to mentor you and guide you and and that was pretty transformational for me yeah and i'll just echo that you know nobody had the answers uh in in quotes you know we were all right. working uh together was, you know some uh push and pull some unconstructive uh, but mostly a constructive push and pull uh, where we were striving uh, to understand, we we're seeking to understand and make the, the the business a better place, so that our customers uh, could uh, could could succeed in their career. So I hundred percent agree with you about about that very exciting time in in a company that uh, you know neither of us work there anymore, but I, I certainly uh, continue to uh, to support them. Um, yeah. So. You know, let's dive into change and change management. Uh, can you recall an example from your career when a major change event occurred and the potential impact of change on the humans involved 
really wasn't contemplated in advance. And the, the follow-on is what were the ramifications? Yeah. Well, look, the biggest change event that's probably happened in the last 50 plus years is what just happened in from 2020 until now, right? Which is the COVID pandemic. And while it's sort of an easy example and maybe a cliche thing to, to, to point to, um, and maybe over, overuse as an example, I think um, we want to talk about an impact that this has had on, on all elements of, of society. Um, this is like nothing any of us have ever seen in our lifetimes, and, and nor did we predict that something like this was going to happen, right? So, yeah, everything from business and economic and health and well-being and social impacts. I mean, these have been massive impacts, and and you know, people have to learn to think, act, and behave, and 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 do things differently. And and, the, and there's a, a, a sort of a paradigm shift that happened over the last couple of years on on a sort of seismic level, right? Like massive change in terms of just about every aspect of life. So I think you know. Going back to your question about, you know, from in, a, in the business setting, um, you know, what were the impact or ramifications? Well, look, first, I think leaders have to find new ways of running their business. Um, we had to adapt to a new normal almost overnight. Um, this came without warning and it went fast, right? Um, and so every aspect of the business model was challenged. Every aspect of, of how you deliver value and service to your customers or how you manage employees um, you know, many of those employees had to adapt to remote working. Uh, many of them were balancing work and life while they had kids doing remote learning from, from home. Um, others who didn't have the ability to work remotely, like the healthcare profession or manufacturing or retail, had to had to brave the front lines and, and, and you know, be concerned about safety and staying healthy. Um, and, and through it all, I think, you know, the lesson learned was that the companies that adapted quickly embraced that change and were agile enough to sort of dodge and weave through the countless rules and regs and changes and all sort of stuff that happened, they endured. And, and they came out in the long run, um, you know, strong. Those who didn't or couldn't really suffer, and in some cases just didn't make it, right? Um, and, and I'm sure, you know, time will tell, but history will, 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 will present many, many case studies in business schools and so forth that will be written about what happened. But you know, I think this was probably the most catastrophic or, or, or significant impact I, I, I could point to that really had a seismic uh, shift in, in how we how we think I can behave in the business world. Yeah, I really couldn't agree couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, I, I've I've asked that question of a number of people, and uh, they you know the 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 typical the typical answer goes back to something that happened in a business setting. But I I love how you put the pandemic uh, just front and center uh, because it is it the the businesses that were agile uh, were able to to uh, bob and weave, as, as you said, as uh, new guidance came in and, and had open minds, open ears, uh, and were willing and, uh, willing and able to uh, change and change quickly uh, really made the difference. Uh, let's switch gears. Uh, let's go back to last week, uh, pick up on last week with mergers and acquisitions. Uh, during your career, you've driven a number of acquisitions. Uh, I've done the same. Uh, without naming names, can you can you talk to us about the difference that managing for change can make on the success or failure of a transaction? Sure. Um, 
well, well, first you have, you have to realize, I think that that mergers and acquisitions are are major change events, right? So these are not minor things that that happen. So, uh, you know, merger acquisition in, in, in a non business setting would be the equivalent of getting married, right? And 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 unless you're just going to on a whim go and get married somewhere, um, you know, there's a lot of planning that goes into that. There's a lot of life change that happens that comes with that, right? And and most people are very deliberate about planning for that change. I think companies have to also be very cognizant that this is a major, major change and, and have to be, you know, deliberate in planning for that. Um, most of that change tends to come after the transaction has happened, right? During an integration process and, 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 the, and then some. So I think that um, anticipating what needs to happen during that integration process and, and getting ready and planning for that at a very early stage while the transaction is happening, not towards the end, is a best practice. Um, in fact, I've always asked our teams to begin identifying integration milestones and activities during when the due diligence phase, when we're learning about the company, because that's where you start forming some pretty significant opinions about how things are going to come together and, and things that are going to get impacted. And so, you know, that starting that early helps, right? And and you also have to recognize as a leader that not all of the change that comes with integration needs to happen all at once. It's probably one of the biggest um, learnings that I had as I, you know, got, did more acquisitions that, you know, things need to be phased, right? And I always used a sort of a, an approach of 30, 60, 90, right? So the first 30 days, um, in the integration plan were only those things that were non-negotiables and must-dos. These are things that have significant risk or could bring the business to its needs. Things like integrating HR and payroll and benefits, um, making sure your financial reporting is integrated so you can close your books, right? Um, legal or compliance or regulatory items that, that would cause a major risk to the business. These are things that, that, that were the first 30 days. And believe me, you know, I had many people who tried to put other things in that 30 days that they, that they deemed as, as a must do. Uh, you know, an example would be, you know, we got to integrate our email systems. Well, no, you don't because we have email, they have email and we can continue to use email, uh, each right. other's email addresses. That's not a must do, right? That's just one more thing that's going to cause strain and pressure, right? So, so then you get to the 60 days and, and that's where you start focusing on the short-term priorities that mitigate some of the smaller risks that you may have or accomplishes the quick wins that you've identified as part of your diligence and your planning. And these tends to be things like those IT projects that I was talking about or, or sales and marketing opportunities where you can go to market and capture some, some additional revenue or market share together. Um, and then the 90 days is really where the magic starts to happen because now things have sort of settled in, people have gotten to know each other, organizations have come together, and now it's about leveraging the full power of the transaction. This is this is where you really execute on, on your synergy opportunities and, and, and the longer term, less critical, but just as important and impactful things that create value um, per, per whatever was in your business case. And like I said, I think most companies make the mistake of, of trying to do everything too quickly and, and all at once because they're desperate to deliver whatever was in this financial model that was presented for the acquisition. But if you have the foresight, you build that into your model, right? You build a phased approach into your model and a more balanced approach to change. Um, the only other thing I would add is it also boils down to people. And, and you know, 
making sure you have the right teams on both sides of the businesses heading up the integration activities is critical. Uh, give them the space, give them the time, dedicate most, if not all of their time during the first 90 days to ensuring that there's focus on integration and that they're not distracted with other things. Um, you know, in one of my experiences at Apollo Global, we did nine acquisitions in eight years. And I think one of the reasons why we were successful in integrations, we actually had a dedicated team that was just responsible purely full-time, full-time jobs on integration activities, right? And they made sure that those businesses got integrated well. Um, and we had a great group of project managers, which is also a must that kept the process moving. And the nice thing was, is that that team went from acquisition, 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 and they picked up a lot of knowledge every step of the way of things that you shouldn't do because there were mistakes or didn't work well, or things that worked really well that they could leverage and put into the next acquisition and integration. So that was hugely helpful as well. Yeah. So, you know, I'm hearing, uh, you know, get started early on change, you know, during the modeling process. That's uh, one best practice uh, that, that, uh, that, that I heard. And, uh, you know, stage gate, uh, make sure that you've, uh, that, that you're, uh, you're, you're able to spread out uh, the change. Um, and, uh, and then the, the, sub, the subtext to all of that that I heard is, uh, is uh, be, be ready to be agile. Uh, mm -hmm. That uh, I, I just love the old Mike Tyson quote, um, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, they, you know, that, that, that just always, uh, you know, and, then, and then that other, the, the other best practice that I heard is, you know, have a team. Uh, and, and it sounds like at Apollo Global, you guys, uh, you, you had the right uh, thing in place where you had a team of, uh, of folks that were dedicated. Because I think one of the worst things that you can do, and I've been guilty of this, is say, we're going we're gonna to acquire company X and we're going to do business as usual at the same mm -hmm. time. Uh, and, and so just adding more uh, onto the pile instead of making the space and time for the transaction to happen. So uh, all really, really great advice. Um, you know, switching gears just a little bit, you and I have spent large portions of our careers in the education space. Uh, a few years ago, you made the leap as an operator into a very completely, di a completely different industry. Uh, we talked a little bit about about it before the show, but can you tell us about that experience of moving from education uh, to cannabis, and what were what was the best part, and what was the hardest part of the process? Sure. Um, well, first of all, it was, it was an insane move for me. For sure, right? Um, but but incredible, and, and uh, very thankful for having had the opportunity to, to be part of the cannabis industry. But I think that the, the first, the hardest part about this initially was just making the leap, right? Leaving something that I've been doing for twenty years that I loved doing, and that I was very comfortable doing, and and could do you know really really well, and 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 knew the industry like the back of my hand, knew the business and, and what made it work. Uh, to jump into something completely unknown and something new and taking that kind of a risk, that's a scary leap to make. And it took me a while to really kind of get to that point and talk to a lot of mentors and advisors and so forth who encouraged me to, to take the leap and be part of, you know, this incredible, you know, category creation that was happening with cannabis. Um, 
I remember I was at the time looking to sort of refresh my skills and knowledge. So, um, and I needed a new challenge and, and I definitely got it with cannabis, right? And so, so I jumped into the business and then the hardest part was that it was all new. Um, I, I had many skills that transferred over, whether it's like, you know, acquisition, integration, you know, leadership and building teams and putting into place business processes and all that. That's all fine. But I had to learn everything about this business from scratch, you know, um, the company itself, the, the industry, the, the business model and how different factors affect the business model, uh, compliance rules and regulations. And there are tons in the cannabis industry, right? Um, how you manufacture products, um, how you operate retail stores. I've never done that before, right? Uh, supply chain management, never had to deal with that before. So, so those were all new skills that I had to very quickly learn. And, and, you know, as there are, you know, things that come with any new job, also learning new people and new workplace and new processes and tools for doing your job. Like these are all things that as the COO of the business, I needed to learn very, very quickly uh, as I was inheriting a pretty large set of responsibilities. And then, you know, cannabis is an industry that moves, you know, at lightning speed. You know, it's very, very fast paced. It's constantly changing with rules, regs, uh, things like that. So, so you not only are you trying to learn, but then you're also learning in a, in a, in a very fast paced changing industry. Um, so, so that was for sure, I think, you know, some of the, some of the challenges or some of the hard things that I encountered. And, and, and I would say also like perhaps <laughs> the craziest part of all that was my first week on the job was when the COVID pandemic really kind of hit and, and, and that everybody got sent home <laughs> for remote working. So, you know, there I was uh, my first day with nobody in the office, right? That was, that, that was a lot of fun too, but uh, it's been a great ride and uh, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, we, we talked about this before the show, but I'd like to personally thank you for your time and energy that you've devoted, uh, to, uh, to the cannabis industry. We talked about stigma and, uh, you know, just bringing down the temperature of the, of the conversations about, uh, about cannabis in, in the United States is, uh, is very important just to have rational, you know, adult conversations about what this is, what it's not, uh, and, uh, and how to, how to make, uh, make the most of it. So, um, you know, we talk on this podcast, we talk a lot about skills and reskilling. Uh, what are some of the top human skills that you'd encourage the leadership team of a company that's thinking about a major change event to proactively instill in their employees? Yeah. So, you know, the, the obvious one is, is going to be communication, Andy. I think that so much of change management boils down to, are you communicating? Are you communicating effectively in a timely basis, keeping all the key stakeholders connected and on the same page? Um, I have seen so many integration efforts or change management efforts, um, you know, fail because of a lack of good communication, right? And so I think that is paramount as a, as a, as a skill that, that you, we need to teach people not just at a leadership level, but, but below, um, you know, we've gotten too used to in business doing things over email and text messaging and instant messaging and the art of, of dialogue has kind of disappeared. And, right. and again, change management is not just about sending an email about something, but it's about, you know, talking through and understanding 
And I think that art of communication is really, really important. So I would reinforce those skills. Um, of course, I mentioned earlier basic project management principles. You know, no, you don't have to have everybody go through PMI certification, but you certainly should should help everybody understand the basics of, you know, whether a major change events or initiatives, what are the interdependencies that your function has with another and so forth, right? Um, and those are just basic project management um, uh, concepts that I think people need to refresh on. Um, time management, we touched on earlier, you know, look, everybody has a full-time job and then we're asking them to do more. So unless you carve it out and say it's 100% of your time, people are going to have to juggle things and balance things. And, and perhaps I think the, the one thing that I see that is not necessarily about change management, but certainly um, the universal truth, I think, and, and something that impacts change management is the ability to deal with ambiguity. Um, answers are not always black and white and everything's not always spelled out. If there was a playbook for exactly what you should do and follow, then that'd be great, but there never is. And so understanding how to make decisions with, you know, maybe 80% of the information as opposed to 100% or, or complete lack of information and being able to sort of get to an answer um, or to be able to, you know, uh, be agile and, and change direction as needed is critical, I think, during change processes. And so I'd say those are some of the things that, that employers should definitely be looking at to, to brush up their employee skills on. Yeah, uh, thank you for starting with communication. It's completely unprompted. I did not prompt uh, Mihul to do it. Our next mini series is uh, all about communication, and we we purposefully uh, put that in there, so, uh, timed it that way, so that uh, communication followed our conversations uh, about about change and change management. Uh, if uh, a follow on question here, you know, we were talking about. Uh, the skills to instill in the employees of the organization. Uh, what the what what is what is special that leaders need to focus on uh, before they uh, really start to engage in, uh, in in big change events like uh, merger or acquisition? Yeah. Well, look. So, so again, we'll we'll headline with communication, right? But it's yeah. Not only helping employees understand how to communicate with each other better, but then leaders um, sending out the right messaging and the right communication along the way so that keeps the train moving down the tracks um, at the right speed and direction, I think is important. Um, resource planning and allocation, um, <clears throat> certainly, you know, very, very important. Again, uh, very few businesses have infinite, you know, resources and human capital or, you know, available to, to, to work on things. So, making sure that, um, you know, you understand where the gives and takes are um, as part of uh, a major change management process. And, and then related to that, I mean, you know, talent management. So leaders need to understand, you know, how to get the most out of the people that they have and putting the right players in the right positions as part of that change initiative. Um, you know, not everybody's going to have a seat at, on the bus for that, right? And then understanding who who's going to get the the best results in the, in the period of time um, that you've you've outlined um, is is really important. And then um, I'd say you know a skill that I've certainly lived and breathed by, and I think you have too, Andy, knowing knowing you very well and work with you is servant leadership. I think um, you know leaders need to be prepared to get their hands dirty and do some of that that work down in the trenches alongside the people who are going through this change process. Change is hard. 
And, and if people feel like they've just sort of been relegated and sort of abandoned and, you know, you guys figure it out while I go off and do this, uh, that's, that's never a good thing. And I think leaders who are a, a part of that process and, and alongside their teams and helping to kind of move the organization along is, you know, being involved at a deeper level, um, I've always seen works best. Yeah. Yeah. That, thank you so much for that. So as we uh, move toward uh, wrapping up this episode, uh, if you had a new college graduate or an individual who's uh, re-entering the workforce sitting right in front of you right now, what advice do you give them? <laughs> uh, I'd say run, don't go into the business world. It's crazy. Don't be uh, <laughs> a YouTube star or a video game, professional video game player or something, but just kidding. Um, yeah. No, look, I, I think um, in all seriousness, I think that that some of the hard skills that people need to to learn as they go into the world of business um, are things like, you know, digital savviness, right? We're, we're in the digital era now. Things are, technology is, is, is advancing rapidly and things are progressing fast. And so your ability to understand the digital world, the digital verse is, is hugely important. Um, data, data analysis, you know, we're surrounded by, you know, infinite amounts of data now and it's understanding how to work through that and make informed decision and, and, you know, the predictive analytics skills that come with that. Um, we talked about communication. So these are some of the hard skills I think people need to kind of, you know, have. But I think in terms of behaviors, I, my advice would be, you know, always be learning, be curious, right? Um, it's one of the most admirable traits, I think, in, in, in a good business person is a sense of curiosity and really trying to learn new things and try new things. Um, and, and, and in the process of doing so, you know, a mentor once told me, you know, you have two eyes, two ears, and one mouth. Use them in that proportion, right? So always be listening, um, always be looking and learning and, and speak little because you don't know everything yet, but you have a lot to add as you sort of gain that knowledge and skills, right? Um, take accountability for your, for your work and your results. Leaders love to see people who step up and say, I got that, that's mine, and, and, and I'm responsible for this. And then you know, the topic of this, of this episode, right? Be adaptable, be flexible, be willing to change. Um, you know, right now, if, if you're overwhelmed by the pace of change right now, just recognize that right now is the slowest amount of change that you will experience for the rest of your life, right? It's only going to get faster with technology and AI and other things. The speed of change will increase from this point forward. So get used to it. And don't fight. Um, be agile and accept whatever comes at you with ambition and enthusiasm and, and make the most of it. Fighting change is the fast pass to uh, becoming a member of the clay layer or organizational permafrost. Uh, and uh, worst case is the is part of the actively disengaged in the in the workforce. So. That's uh, wonderful, wonderful advice, Mahul. I want to thank you for uh, imparting your uh, your wisdom uh, to uh, to our audience. I want to thank our, our our listeners for joining in. Uh, my name is Andrew Tempe. Uh, this is the Balancing Act podcast. You can find us on all the major podcasting services. Please like, subscribe, rate, uh, all, all of that fun stuff, and we will see you next time.